All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? How do you get it? We'll deconstruct everything from motivation and mental health to anti-racism and addiction. Ultimately, the goal is to give you the tools and strategies that you need to live your most powerful life, being a force for good in the world and impacting the people around you in a positive way. Powerful is brought to you by me, your host, Jeff Kular. I help people change and build incredible teams. Welcome to the show. A realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship itself. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. If they don't wake up, they get left out. Okay, everybody, welcome to episode 20 of Powerful. I can't believe that we're at episode 20 already. It feels like just yesterday that we launched the first couple of episodes way back in October of 2019. So thank you for being on this journey with me. Thank you. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, you've got a bunch of episodes that you can check out. This is a really important episode to me, a really personal episode. The last couple of weeks been looking at uh, individuality versus community uh, with a few different guests. And last week talked to Bob McInnes, who uh, is an intentional community builder. And I need to talk to you about a community that uh, that I was a part of that I helped build, I suppose, um, or at least I was a part of watching it build over time. And this is a place uh, really special to me. I spent about almost a dozen years there, uh, first as a youth worker, then as a shift supervisor, then as the program supervisor, and finally as the program manager uh, for a couple of years before I left on my own journey in 2017 into entrepreneurship, coaching and consulting and, and speaking and, and podcasting, obviously. This place is really special because it's where I really learned about the power of intentional community building and what it takes to build intentional communities around a vision and around a set of values and how hard that can be, but how incredibly powerful it really is and how extraordinary the outcomes can be when you take that, take those steps to, to really dig in to community building. And so that's what we're going to do here on the podcast over the next couple of weeks is really dig into intentional community building and what it takes and what some of the challenges are and what some of the opportunities might be for you. Because I, I do believe that the communities that we are building are um, critically important to tackling the challenges and the problems and the issues that we face as individuals, but also as society, um, as certainly as Western society that I'm most familiar with. And so this is going to be a multi-part journey. I've got some interviews on tape with some of the staff and friends and colleagues that I've worked with over the years at Enviro's Base Camp. Um, but today's episode is going to be a shorter one where I'm just going to talk to you about the three essential ingredients of building really intentional, really high-performing, really high-functioning communities. And that community can be a partnership. It can be you and one other person. It can be an entire team of folks. It can be, you know, it can be thousands of, of people potentially or millions. Uh, it doesn't really matter. The It's the community, the size of the community doesn't matter nearly as much as the other things that I'm going to tell you, the, the essential ingredients um, that I see as being critical to building communities of inclusion that um, make a difference in the world, which is really kind of what I'm here for. And what a lot of people are here for is to make a dent in 
some of these issues that that we find ourselves facing as a human species, as societies, um, as people. And so I'm going to introduce you to these three essential ingredients today, again, in a pretty short podcast. And then over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to unpack these with stories and examples and a bit more nuance um, by interviewing some of the people that I was fortunate enough to spend a bunch of time with over the years um, in a lot of different places and, and different ways. So here we go. First essential ingredient is actually some sort of problem or challenge that the community can rally around. Um, so oftentimes we, we talk about communities and teams and cultures of organizations needing a vision and a mission. And sure, that's important. My experience with them is usually they go up on the wall and they don't necessarily inform all of the decisions that we make. And they don't give us the a really clear lens sometimes. And they're, they're pretty aspirational and they're pretty theoretical and they're pretty kind of high level. Um, versus identifying some sort of problem or challenge that can rally the community around it. And so, for example, Enviro's Basecamp, it's a place I spent about a dozen years. The problem that we were tackling was addiction and mental health in youth and families in Alberta. Um, but we were also tackling mediocre services. You know, a lot of services around addiction and mental health, when we're honest with ourselves, are kind of mediocre. They're kind of average, and they don't necessarily have the impact and the, and the outcomes that we would expect given the amount of money and resources and time and energy that people put into it. And so certainly something we were tackling as a group, kind of why everyone went there to work, was to help youth and families who were facing the issues around addiction. Uh, but as a team, we really rallied around the idea of becoming you know, best in class, um, a world-class, world-leading service. And by about 2015, about 10 years into the journey, um, I could lay pretty legitimate claims to the fact that we were doing some of the best work, certainly in North America and likely around the world, as judged by our outcomes that we had developed. And that's going to be an important piece of this conversation, um, but it comes down the road a little bit. The very first thing that a, an intentional community needs is a problem to solve, a challenge to face. And so that's where we need to start. After we've identified a problem or a challenge, we need to identify a set of values, a set of things that this community shares that we hold important, um, because that's going to guide the work that we do together. Values, again, are often these things that end up on walls, in boardrooms, or on pamphlets, or you know, splashed on a website, and we don't see them reflected in the practices of the people, right? And so, value alignment right, is super critical to intentional community building. You want to make sure that whatever you say is important is actually important and is reflected in what people prioritize. And so the four values or the value statements that Basecamp held, and again, addictions treatment with youth, um, attracted a lot of youth workers and social workers and addictions counselors and psychologists and, and folks kind of leaning towards the helping profession. Uh, the four value statements that we identified that really set the stage for really intentional community building and program design was the first one was we see whole people. And that might seem intuitive. That might seem like, well, of course we see whole people. Um, but the reality is, is that a lot of people and a lot of programs in addiction and mental health space don't actually see whole people. They see small slivers of people and they see the addiction. They see the anxiety. They see the depression or the eating disorder or the domestic violence or insert whatever problem has forced somebody to access care or access services, nine times out of 10, that's what's actually being centered in, in practices. It's a very problem-saturated view of people. And we knew that if addiction 
makes sense in someone's life and it's there for a purpose and it's and it's really meaningful it's meeting needs um then we'd need to see a whole person to be able to figure out what those needs were what those values were um, and set meaningful goals with our with our clients and with their family members and so seeing a whole person you know we're going to talk a little bit down the road uh, with kelly the uh, psychologist who really um helped build a lot of the intention, a lot of these values into practice over the decade or so that we worked together. Uh, He talks about falling in love with even a small sliver of the person sitting across from you. Seeing, being able to see them as a whole person means there's going to be something you don't like about them, but there's also going to be something that you absolutely love about them. Maybe it's their sense of humor. Um, Maybe it's their helpfulness around helping you do dishes in the evening. It can be really small things, but when we open up ourselves to seeing whole people, um, we make work possible that isn't possible when we only see them for their addiction or see them for their anxiety. And so that's the first value that we identified was seeing whole people. And it was really a prerequisite, um, a fundamental condition for these other values. Uh, The second value is we invite healing. And that's really important. Two words, invite and healing. Invitation means that it has to be voluntary. There has to be a level of commitment and ownership and responsibility from the people who are being invited into change. We know that mandating change doesn't work. You've probably had a boss or a coach or a parent or a teacher at some point in your journey um, suggest strongly to you that you take a course of action, that you change something about yourself. And I'm willing to bet that it wasn't that meaningful and that you may not have actually embarked on the change and really dug into it in a meaningful way. You might have changed a few things just to give the appearances of compliance. Um, But if we're actually wanting engagement and not compliance in our services, then we need to invite it. And that doesn't mean just that it's voluntary treatment for us. It meant that on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis, were we inviting our clients, these young people into their own change process, or were we trying to mandate it? Were we trying to lay it out as an expectation? And so that's a, that's a big conversation and centering it, the invitation piece um, in our practice was really helpful for us to help guide um, day-to-day, moment-to-moment interventions. And the healing part, you know, that's what we're here for. Um, that's really it's about healing and growth. It's not necessarily about not using drugs anymore or not being addicted to something. Um, describing something by the absence of the problem as opposed to the preferred solution uh, would be one thing that I would suggest you do when you're building intentional community is really focus on what are the positive outcomes that we're after here, not just the absence of the negative. Right. The third value was um, believing in growth and really believing that people inherently are oriented towards growth and development and their own wellness. And that when we start to see things that don't make sense, whether that's addiction or whether that's a behavior of some kind, you know, arguing with the rules or what punching walls, whatever it happens to be, we saw lots of that over the years. Um, The realization that 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 was the best they could do with what they had in that moment and under those conditions, and that we were responsible for the conditions in which growth was possible. And a big part of those conditions were our own mindsets and our own perspectives on these young people and what they were capable of. So believing in growth was really fundamental. Um, Otherwise, you're just trying to, again, gain compliance and eliminate undesired behavior as opposed to intentionally fostering and growing people's strengths and capabilities and competencies. 
And the final value that we held as a community was just that, uh, that we trust in community and that we no one person has the answer to this. Uh, a lot of places, especially in addiction and mental health, really rely on an expert-centered model where you know, it's the psychologist or the psychiatrist or the doctor or somebody with advanced degrees, usually wearing a white coat and sitting behind a big desk who had the answers to these problems. And we fundamentally knew that that wasn't true, that community is the answer to these problems. And so John, the maintenance guy uh, for 20 years, almost, um, was as important to the therapeutic potential of the community as the psychologist Kelly, as the brand new youth worker who just started their shift. And to be honest, even the dogs that came out to base camp and spent their shifts out there with their owners were an important contributing member to a therapeutic environment, an environment in which the healing was possible. And, and clients certainly experienced that and certainly gave us that feedback. So trusting in community became the fourth value or the fourth lens that we would use to view it. So those four together, those four values, again, we see whole people, we invite healing, we believe in growth, and we trust in community. There's not a lot of words there, but the impact on the community when we finally landed on those and agreed to center them in our practice was that we started to be able to question everything we did through that lens. Does this piece of the program invite healing or doesn't invite healing? right? Are we seeing a whole person during this case consultation every Wednesday morning when we're talking about all the problems and all the non-compliance and all the, the behavioral issues that might be happening, say, in the schoolhouse, right? If we truly do see whole people, then we'll balance that narrative with examples of when they contributed meaningfully, when they had a positive breakthrough or conversation with someone. Um, so those really came to life in the program. And I think that's, so that's the second component is making sure that your values come to life in your practice. They can't live on a wall. They can't just be a pamphlet or uh, on the website. You really have to look at examining your practice, the aspects, the structure of your programs or your community, whatever it is you're building um, to make sure that it's reflective of those values. And the third essential ingredient of intentional community building is some sort of alignment mechanism, um, some sort of feedback loop, some sort of way to know is our impact, are the outcomes that we're having as a group of people pursuing this vision and trying to live these values, is it having the intended effect? More often than not, it's not, unfortunately, in addiction and mental health treatment particularly, but I see it also in education and I see it also in corporations, in different organizations where leaders have an intention that this type of experience uh, is the one that their staff will have. And then you go and talk to the staff and it's anything but um, that experience. And the same thing goes for clients in addictions treatment programs or any of our helping professions. And certainly lots of students in our educational systems are not having the types of experiences that our educators intend for them. And I do a lot of this work um, with the, the right use of power framework with teams where we go in and talk about impact and intention and how we can't actually hide behind our good intentions anymore. And the sign of a really intentional community is one that doesn't do that. It doesn't say, well, our hope is that people heal. Our hope is that people improve. They're actually a community of people who are dedicated to knowing what their impacts are, even when they're not the impacts, especially when they're not the impacts that your intention would be, right? We want to know uh, in the base camp context, if clients were failing treatment or more accurately, if treatment was failing these clients, right? If they weren't getting their needs met, if the goals weren't meaningful, if the activities and the interventions and the conversations that we were facilitating weren't helping them cope 
differently, uh, build the necessary skills, heal relationships. If it wasn't doing those things, um, well, then we need to change them. And so intentional communities are communities that actually will change and evolve over time because they're more committed to the impact that they're having in the world than they are attached to their good intentions. All right, so those are the three essential ingredients that I see from my perspective, uh, having been a part of different intentional community building efforts over the years and really ha- seeing that come to life with really exceptional work in addictions treatment at Enviro's base camp over the dozen or so years that I spent there in different positions. Um, it's those it's those three things. It's a challenge or a problem that unites a community. It's a set of values that don't just live on the wall. They're reflected in the day-to-day, moment-to-moment practice. And there's some sort of built-in alignment mechanism, whether that's just a feedback loop at the individual level, or if it's a more formal outcome and evaluation process, which I do a lot more of these days with the organizations that I support, where we build outcome and evaluation systems to reflect their values, to inform really accurately whether or not they're having the impact that they set out to, whether the problem that they set out to solve is actually we're moving the needle on it or not. Uh, So when you're thinking about your community, that you might be responsible for, whether that's your family, whether that's a team or an entire organization, um, keep those things in mind. You know, make sure that you've clearly articulated and defined the problem in a way that people can clearly understand why these values that you're going to hold and operationalize make sense, and then check in on it. Make sure you have a feedback loop or some sort of way to assess your impact on the people that you're there to serve. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me for this short episode that's going to kick off a, uh, a journey that we're going to go on to unpack the power of intentional community building and some of my experiences doing that over the years at an addictions treatment program for youth out in the wilderness northwest of Calgary, Alberta. So next week, we're going to be jumping into a truck, actually, uh, for the drive out from base camp with Kelly Waters Radcliffe, a psychologist and colleague of mine who was along for a lot of that ride, and a fellow named Grant Stewart, who was a youth worker and shift supervisor over the past four or five years at the same program. And we're going to talk, we're going to dig into some of the nuances of these three essential ingredients of community building. Today is Thursday, and on Thursdays, I put out... Thursday Thoughts, which is my weekly newsletter to my growing mailing list of people interested in leadership, interested in life, interested in digging into some of these ideas that I put out on the podcast every week. Um, It's it's a pretty quick email, a roundup of resources and ideas and thoughts and questions um, to help you live your most meaningful life um, and step into the power that you have to make a positive impact on yourself and the people around you in the world. So if you'd enjoy getting that email, just go to www.jefffcoullard.com and hop onto the mailing list and you'll get the very next one.